Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, my name is Dallas here, joining you with another incredible guest. Her name is Dr. Don Carpenter. How are you today? Such a pleasure to have you. Hi, Dallas. How are you? I'm doing great. Or as uh, one of my favorite um uh, Christian financial uh, talk show guys would say, uh, "Better than I deserve." Um, better so than I deserve. That's your, a, yeah, it's been a while since I've heard that one, Actually, I'm talking about yeah, <laughs> better than I <laughs> deserve. Dave That's Ramsey. good. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Dave Ramsey. Shout out to Dave Ramsey, keeping <laughs> us out of debt. Hey, Come on, Dave Ramsey. Well, are you kidding? I was an investment banker that um, was sitting in a overpriced luxury uh vehicle at the preschool that i was paying fifty thousand dollars a year for it and i was listening to dave and i'm like wait a minute my life's gotta be something different and that was 25 years ago so i'm sure we have an incredible journey incredible story we're going to hear about today but just to introduce you the best that i can to our audience today you are the host of a podcast called what does it profit podcast and this is a business podcast that really focuses on bringing faith and business together is that is that right would you Say that that's, yep, that's around there. That's okay. what we do on the show. And then I'm also yeah. um, the uh, director of the Solidarity Economy Workshop at Georgetown University, in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. Yeah. So you heard it first. We have an amazing guest here, an expert in business. And I want to talk a little bit more about that here in just a few minutes. But I just want to know who you are a little bit, Don. I want to hear your personal testimony, why you're a believer today and how it's kind of helped you along the way. You know, that is um, an enormous question because it's a complete and total life question. Mm. Um, For me, my faith is at the very center of who I am. Um, And for me, I mean, people will ask me uh, from time to time, how did you come to where you are in your faith? And I'd say it was total gratuitous gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Mm -hmm. he found a sinner and pulled me along. and I was an adult convert to the Catholic tradition of the Christian faith. And, um, you know, it was, it took a lot. And for me, it was um, uh, a terrible illness um, from my oldest daughter that really got me um, into um, a prayer life. And mm. I don't know how deep or where you want to go with this story, but um, it was truly her, uh, the sufferings of a little girl who had been Mm. adopted from Russia. Uh, This is my oldest daughter. She had been exposed to chemical, and her mother had been exposed to chemical and radiation pollution, had developed a very rare birth defect. I adopt her, uh, bring her back to the United States. We find out that she's got a hole in her skull and Mm. she's dripping spinal fluid. And um, so the surgeon went in to put some little bonding solution on and said, you know, we can't predict what's going to happen. 
And I said, well, you know, that's what medicine says. I'm going to try another path. And so that started an intense prayer life. Um, And for me, I didn't even really know how to pray. Um, So, you know, from that situation, um, it was, I was living in a family environment where I was exposed to uh, someone who had come from the Catholic tradition. And so it's part of that tradition. There's this concept of the communion of saints and saints are just Mm -hmm. pals of God. Um, And, you know, it's kind of like having a family member um, that you go to when you want to confide that says, you know, pray with me. And so I'm thinking, you know, here I am, a mother with a very sick child. Um, What do I do? I'm like, I need to find a mother. (laughs) So I'm like, who's the mother of all mothers? And it's like, um, you know, Jesus's mother. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, you know, here, help me understand what this um, illness means. Um, Because, you know, I knew practically in the world what it meant, but I'm just one of those people that finds deep meaning in everything. Um, And it wasn't really until I found my faith that I understood where that deep meaning really came from. And so um, it was through my daughter's illness um, uh, and, you know, that intense prayer life that led me to an interest in learning more about the faith because that first illness was when she was three. And when she was seven, she um, had a leak on, it was a leak of spinal fluid in her skull, a leak on the other side of her skull. And we knew exactly what it was going to be. I was Mm -hmm. still in this intense prayer life. So there's about four years difference in between the first surgery and what was going to be the second. And uh, we did imaging, the MRIs came out, uh, see the holes, Everything was there. We went in for surgery. It was supposed to be 45 minutes. Four hours later, the surgeon came out and looked at me and said, you know, look, there are some things that medicine just cannot explain. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she's dead. Um, He's like, no, she's fine. But we took so long because we couldn't find the holes. We saw the Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We turned her upside down on the operating table to, to, to shake out a leak. Uh, spinal fluid and uh, we couldn't find it and wow. um, yeah it was I God moves. Later. yeah truly there was no other way to describe it and and to hear this from a um a very um I, I guess he was probably an atheist surgeon um he had come from the country of India I only learned years later that his father had been um also a doctor in India and had known uh, Mother Teresa and, you know, so there were all these amazing connections. And I thought, okay, God, you have just taken a hammer and you have hit me. And so I knew what I understood through feeling and senses. But for me, I'm one of those people who's a, an intellectual. I need to understand um, the um, the logic um, behind it or the, um, you know, the, the systematic nature of, of understanding our faith. And so I uh, got some good advice from a priest who said, never stop reading. And so that was in 2003. Um, next thing you know, I end up with a graduate degree in theology. Um, wow. And I was working on Wall Street at the time. And um, then I'm like, okay, I think I need to, uh, then I made a decision to come into the Catholic faith tradition. You know, that was kind of the beginning of it for me. And I'd had other um 
truly, I, I mean, I'm speaking to a faith-based audience, so I feel, you know, at home and talking about <laughs> yeah. spiritual terms, but in my day-to-day life, you know, I do God without the God talk. So now this mm-hmm. is kind of liberating um, to be among your listeners who, you know, can understand that there are things we can't explain that come as true and total gifts. And yeah. you know, what we do with them, uh, I think we will be judged on, you know, it's yeah. the things that we do and the things we fail to do. So for me, I'm like, how do I make this wholly a part of my life? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working at uh, JP Morgan in New York. I had a huge job and I had one of these epiphanies. I was coming up um, the elevator, literally, uh, in our New York headquarters. And I um, happened to be in the elevator alone with Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of, you know, he's probably He's like the quintessential global banker. He's like the dean of all bankers. Uh, Mm. For those of you who don't know anything about banking, he's the big cheese. Uh, You know, here he is in the elevator. I looked over and I thought, you know, there are a certain level in our company. There are, um, everyone's got a Jamie Dimon story and it usually is transformative. And so I looked at him and I thought to myself, this is going to be my moment. Um, So he doesn't know me from anyone. You know, I'm just a middle level executive in this global corporation. I look at him and I said, you know, I met a friend of yours last night. He's like, what? (laughs) Turned out I had met Bill Clinton um, the night before one of my clients had an event in New York and a very charismatic guy. I didn't share his politics. I didn't know anything. I mean, yeah. I'm a banker. I'm not a politician, but you know, they kind of have a respect for your nation's leaders at a certain level, and and so we get to chit chatting about what, well, the circumstance of uh, that meeting and uh, what the client event was. So this was a 20 second elevator ride, and maybe 30 seconds. Uh, it's going to 42, and he was going up to 50, and um, you know, I um, I left that elevator, right? I'm like, what do I do with this experience? I went back to my desk, sent him an email. And um, within 10, 20 minutes, he sent me a response. I'm like, really? I'm like, come <laughs> on, this is the, the master of the banking universe. Why is he sending me email? Um, but what that did and what that has to do with my faith story is that it was at that moment, I had this epiphany. I thought, yeah. he is just a guy and I'm just a woman. You know, and God puts us each in a place and we're called to be holy and we're called to be holy in that place. And I thought, is this the quote? You can't see me. This is radio. (laughs) It was like air quotes. Is this the place? Like, God, just send me where you need me. And I just had this call to leave. And that right there, send me God. Come on. That is, those are some words. One, two, three. Call me God. Send me Lord. Those are powerful words you're listening to the faith and family fellowship podcast we'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors if there is one relationship book you should read this is it we have left relationship matters to singles who are looking or married who are in trouble the statistics highlighting loneliness are dumbfounding something is seriously wrong and we are not paying attention to The Heart of a True Lover and Exposition of the Song of Solomon has everything you need to set relationships right in your life. Find your copy of The Heart of a True Lover and Exposition of the Song of Solomon on Amazon today. One of the most effective ways to talk about Jesus is through storytelling. Stories help us to reach people in an inviting way that is relatable rather than abstract or distant. Bradley Kelly's storytelling jewelry is crafted for this distinct purpose. Their aesthetic Christian jewelry is hand-cast and finished, made in the USA. 
Their in-house designs are crafted to uncover real emotions and start those life-changing conversations. Find Bradley Kelly Jewelry at bradleykelly.com. That is B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-K-E-L-L-I-E.com. Yeah, so I did the crazy thing. Um, actually, the Washington Post called me up and said, why on earth are you leaving your job? Um, yep. and, but I, I left to, um, I thought I was going to buy a bank. Um, I was looking, it sounds ridiculous, I know, but I was looking to buy a community development bank. I wanted to be God's banker. Um, mm-hmm. to the poor and the marginalized. I'm thinking to myself, I spent a career, almost 25 years, as a banker to social purpose corporations, but the ones that had the most money, um, these are names that you would know, um, household names, um, but anybody can be a banker to those types mm-hmm. of organizations. To me, it's like God is calling me to do the hard stuff. And so, you know, I, I wow. saw all of these disinvested communities and I thought, well, let me go to that mission field. Um, so I, I went on this quest to buy a bank, but it wasn't the right time. It was right after the financial crisis. And um, the regulators, the banking regulators were looking to clean up failing banks and I wanted to start a new one. And so long story short, I spent about a year looking um, pretty hard at some acquisition targets. Um, but ultimately one of my consultants said, look, there's a little bank in your t- hometown. Well, it's not my hometown. It's like my adopted hometown. I've been here for 30 some years of Washington, D.C., and they need some help. Um, they had taken um, some bailout money after the financial crisis, as all the mm-hmm. banks had taken. But these special kinds of banks are restricted in what they can do to raise more capital um, if they don't pay back the uh, government investment through the uh, troubled asset recovery program of the financial crisis. So that's more than your listeners needed to know. But the point no, is, no, um, I want to, I want to touch on it. Yeah, tell us the point, and then I'm yeah. going to make a quick comment after that. Yeah, the the point was that um, I think I needed to learn, mm. and um, being in that small bank, untwisting that capitalization problem, and then later after we finished that, they needed to become recertified as the specialty bank. Uh, I didn't know anything about that, um, but you know, God said, just hang in there. And I was introduced to people at the Treasury Department who helped me um, re-accredit that bank um, to become this institution. And so I, I felt like my job was done. Um, mm-hmm. So a little over a year. Uh, and I'm like, okay, God, what's next? And I had always had an intellectual curiosity. I have three graduate degrees, um, and they all seem in different disciplines. One is theology, one is finance, and one is political science. Um, and But I had this burning question, which is, what does God have to say about the nature of work and the responsibilities of wealth? Mm-hmm. I worked at the most venerable bank on the face of the earth, and I had run, I had run in crowds with people who had tremendous um, monetary Um, But I knew that these ideas of work and wealth meant so much more because Mm -hmm. of my theological training. Um, And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to invest in answering this question. Unfortunately, I'd had a very successful banking career and had the resources to be able to step back from that phase of my career. And I went to Georgetown University to um, work on an interdisciplinary doctorate which um, any of your listeners who know anything about academia, everybody specializes in something. Mm -hmm. So when you get to the highest level of academics, you specialize in a a very narrow question 
in a discipline. So if you're a historian, you don't know everything in the universe about history. You know just um, a lot about a really unique question because you're looking to provide new knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I didn't think I could answer that question. What does God have to say about work and wealth in a divinity school? Because there's so much in that question that goes beyond what they cover in a divinity school. I wasn't going to the seminary. I'm Catholic mm-hmm. tradition and I'm not a man. We're not there yet. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wasn't going in that direction. Um, I wasn't going back to business school because, you know, there's no God talk in business school. Uh, in fact, there's what an anti-God talk in business mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't going back to get a doctorate in political science because the politics is like the the action or the morality of um, common uh, community values. So I'm like, wait a minute, there's no God in there either. Um, So at Georgetown, um, they offered a doctorate in a field called liberal studies, which is the study of human values over the Mm. continuum of time. And they really look for people who have big questions. And so in my cohort, um, no one was studying what I'm studying. And that was by design. I think they admitted 10 of us that year. And everyone had a different question. So we study some core ideas, um, mostly in uh, theology, philosophy, uh, history. Um, those are the primary areas. Um, and we learn how to be interdisciplinary wow. thinkers. And then we go off and design our own um, uh, curriculum. Not curriculum. Well, it is. We take our own classes um, for what we think we need to do the research in our research question, which for me, what was what does God have to say about working well? So what I ended wow. up with was this idea of contributive justice theory. Uh, sounds very heady, right? Um, <laughs> it's this idea of understanding this concept of justice. I mean, this is a loaded word, right? There are a lot of ways to understand justice, but I wanted to understand it through the lens of a particular human value, because that's what we study. And so I thought, well, what is the closest human value? There are thousands of values, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That was so connected to this idea of um, work and wealth and our relationship with God. And I thought, okay, after a lot of praying and discernment, okay, that value for me is contribution. Because you think about it, um, you think about the nature of free will, there's no idea deeper in free will than human Mm -hmm. agency your ability to make and give your heart. Um, And so in our discipline, we look at the opposite of that value to show a continuum. And so the opposite of contribution is marginalization. When you're really excluded, you're totally alone, you're totally abandoned. So when you think about it in faith terms, that's, you know, the what some spiritual writers refer to as the dark night of the soul. You are completely at abandon. Um, mm. And so it's this band of, um, of, you know, a way to think about justice in terms of being able to use your own actions, being able to contribute. And I didn't invent this concept. This concept is found in, I found it in seven or eight different disciplines. Um, and I found it also in one I don't want to, it's now, this was written in the 80s, so it's fairly obscure now. One document that was written by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in the 1980s in response to the tremendous social um, upheaval um, coming out of the 1970s and uh, the inflationary um, market and the 
tremendous economic upheaval. And they dance, I can dance, oh, I can give you a mental image, uh, mm-hmm. kind of circulate around this concept of contributive justice, but they only look at it in one dimension. Um, and so I wanted to take, so this is my contribution, um, and this really anchors my work, um, which is how do we um, understand the two dimensions of it? And I saw two dimensions because in thinking about the theology, um, if you want, I can kind of walk you through what this means, because maybe if you yeah, go ahead. Eye, you can understand this um, in a way that is really enriching for your faith. Um, if you think about who we are um, at our very core, we are um, children of God. We mm-hmm. come from um, an almighty creator that imbues dignity in us because that's who we are. Um, so Dr. Martin Luther King um coined a concept um, called being a co-worker with God. And it's this idea that you're, think about it very simplistically, you're God's hands and feet in the world. Um, vocationally, you know, what you do as an actor, because remember, I'm working in this field of what does God have to say about work and wealth. God has to say a lot of things about a lot of things. Um, yeah. But this <laughs> this yeah. stuff, um, this concept of being a co-worker for me was very intriguing. Um and so if you think about it, it's like, okay, if you're co-working with God, you're doing um, God's work in the world. This is, you know, building the kingdom, as we talk about. Um, what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is, in the way we describe it in um, you know, the Catholic literature, is the, the beatific vision. It's the being with our Almighty Father. And that mm-hmm. comes in the next life, um, and not now, but we are constantly in motion preparing ourselves to be ready for that eternal bonding. So we call that the telos, um, you know, which is the final end. What's the, the purpose of why you're working? Um, because for me, my understanding of work has always been not simply your vocational work. Are you a pastor? Are you a dentist? Are you a teacher? Or whatever is your vocation. No, work is simply um, in its most basic um, your action in the world. Because think about all of us who do so much work outside mm-hmm. of what we do for our paycheck. Um, and we are compensated. And that gets to the idea of what is wealth. Um, wealth for me is not just the monetary wealth. It's truly the um, the spiritual wealth, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of, um, um, you know, the growing in grace and growing in um, the virtues Um and so all of that um, is encompassed in this idea. So if we start with this idea that we're a coworker with God and our end goal, uh, what we're trying to achieve, our, our master plan is to be with him uh, forever and for always. Um, what do we do with all this stuff in life? Mm-hmm. Um, stuff means all this you know, goings on. And um, there's this idea called the universal destination of goods. That means everything out in the world is universally destined to mankind. Um, well, there are a lot of us and, you know, you get a couple yeah. of kids in a room and there's a lot of fighting going on. I mean, you can extrapolate what that means for mankind. Um, but from a philosophical and theological perspective, there's this idea that it's all out there for all of us. And we're incumbent um, to be fiduciaries of all of those things that are out in the world. And um, there are two concepts that kind of put some tethers on that. One is this idea in Catholic theology called a social mortgage, 
which we all understand what a mortgage is, right? When you can't afford to buy um, uh, usually real estate asset um, outright, you'll um, put in some equity and a lender will uh, provide the rest and then you pay off the lender using this idea of a mortgage. Well, think about that. Um, if who's the mortgage holder in the great economy of life? You know, it's our Lord and Savior um, because yeah. he is the source of everything. Um, and so there's imbued upon everything, this kind of social mortgage, how we interact in the world. But there's also this idea of private property. So it's not like we all own everything. Um, it's that we all are where we are. And um, private property is assistive to us because we can use it. Um, so, you know, it's this idea that, um, you know, being blessed is um, a gift, uh, being blessed, you know, economically or with, with gifts um, in your in your person. Um, but there also comes a responsibility with that. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's the, the balancing of all of that. Um, and it's all in the context of um, the dignity of, all of us. And why do we have dignity? Because we're children of God. And so um, there are these two balancing concepts. One is called, we call it uh, uh, charity or, um, you know, theological term solidarity. Um, Mm -hmm. And this more kind of complicated sounding word called um, subsidiarity, which is this idea that we all individually have agency. So um, the idea in the, um, the philosophy behind it is to give decision-making authority to the lowest level uh, competent to handle a problem. So, um, you know, you can think about what that means in all different contexts of life. So I've thrown out all these like uh, concepts, but in my work, what I try to do is kind of put it all together. So in contributive justice theory, or honoring the dignity of the human person, we're co-workers with God, our end goal is to be with him, um, for all of eternity, uh, but we have to deal with the mess of life. Um, yeah. And in the area of work and wealth, um, we have to um, balance, you know, charity and subsidiarity while using the gifts of the, of you know, our Lord um, uh, to to achieve um, what we feel we're called to do um, in in moving that along. So for me, mm-hmm. God made me a banker. Um, uh, my heart didn't start out that way. I started out thinking I was going to be a political journalist. Um, but the realities of my life, I'm a first generation college student. My parents were felons. I'd been homeless in college. I mean, I had a really rough start of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think God was with me in all of those places so that I could be empathetic and understand, yeah. um, you know, those people who were going to need God's banker. Um and so that's how I see, you know, my work in the world. So yes, I have this um, uh, podcast we created in 2020 in COVID. So here I finished my doctorate in uh, 2020 and graduated uh, with distinction from Georgetown University, which is a pretty, you know, reputable place. Mm-hmm. And um, they um, awarded me um, the highest honor that they give at the university called the Spirit of Georgetown, which means in the work that I do, um, what best in embodies the uh, values of, of the university. And it's um, there are a lot of Jesuit values. Jesuits are a charism of priests who started this university mm-hmm. in 1789. Um, and for me, um, one of the most treasured values of, of the university is being men and women for others. And so uh, my work they saw as 
being um, true to that calling. So for me, I'm like, okay, here it is, COVID. I've got this nice award. I got, you know, in my yeah. bathroom at my kitchen table over Zoom. What am I to do? And during my um, uh, studies, I had started a podcast called uh, More Than Money. And we made it up to iTunes uh, business category uh, in the top 15 and uh, wonderfully successful. But there was an issue with the trademark on the name. So um, I thought that was God's way of saying, okay, you need to put this project aside. Um, There's a whole long story behind that, but we don't have time. Um, But, uh, and I think, you know, God was saying, you need to finish writing this dissertation. So I did. So that took another year. And then, so here it is, uh, fast forward to 2020, I graduate and I'm like, okay, but I love this podcasting stuff. Um, I'm reaching people that um, I'd never have access to. We've had a quarter of a million listeners in the first two seasons of our new show. And so I really, I'm like, okay, God. And for your new show, what is the name of that again for our audience to hear? It comes from uh, Mark 8, 36. Uh, What does it profit? The idea is what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And, you know, that's what we do on the show. We look at Mm -hmm. economic life through the lens of, um, you know, what does it profit the common good, our our fellow mankind? And I'm telling you, I don't talk to, you know, the people you might expect, um, well, I don't know who you would expect that I talk to. I've, I have <laughs> yeah. had um, the money man from the Medellin drug cartel. Um, wow. he, uh, yeah, the Medellins are, uh, cocaine's out of favor, fentanyl and opioids are in. This man is mm-hmm. um, long, he was like, why are you talking to this man? Well, he had had the most tremendous conversion experience. Uh, he had, you'll have to listen to, listeners will have to listen to the episode, but um, he was the subject of um, a Netflix documentary called Narcos. And, but he wanted yeah. to be on the show. This is before the Netflix episode came out. He's like, I heard the name of your show. I've had a tremendous conversion experience and I want to tell my story. And he ended up uh, with a graduate a PhD in theology from Loyola, Chicago, uh, opened up the first Catholic um, uh, parish in um, a federal prison, one of the most challenging prisons in the entire prison system. It's in New Orleans. Um, and, you know, he just found a way, God found a way to work through him. And he found, found it in his heart that he wanted to tell a story yeah. on my show. Um, but those are, that's amazing. Yeah, so we we do that kind of stuff, but I've also had um, we just released the uh, first episode of our third season, and it's called Recovery Hardware, and it's a uh, the story of a woman who had started a hardware store in a, um, a bombed out, burned out neighborhood twenty years ago in Washington D.C. And it turns out um, over eighty percent of her employees are in either some phase of recovery or returning citizens um, who just uh, need. To work and so mm-hmm. Gina built a business. It's a, a multi-million dollar business. They have, I think, a dozen oh. stores now, um, over two hundred employees. And during the Black Lives Matter protest, which went up and down Fourteenth Street in Washington D.C., right past her hardware store, she looked out the window. She's like, "Well, what can I do?" Um, and so she decided to sell her um, hardware business as an Ace Hardware franchise of number of stores uh, to her employees. So there's no better way to change a person's life circumstance than to yeah. give them an opportunity to um, accrue wealth. And how do you accrue wealth? You know, I hate to break it to you know your listeners if they haven't figured it out. It's not 
working uh, true wealth. I mean, we're not talking spiritual. I'm talking about beyond like paycheck to paycheck. You need to start to build assets and Mm -hmm. having a business asset sometimes is unimaginable for people under certain circumstances um, because of their life experience. And so Gina gave them a job. Um, and then in that episode, not only do we tell Gina's story, but 20 years on, we we go out and find one of the very first addicts um, who had um, stumbled through her hardware store only to find out that he'd mm-hmm. opened up a restaurant in a hip new area of Washington, wow. D.C. And he's doing the same thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's so it's an incredible story. So I um, I mentioned, you know, I, I do, you know, God in, in business without the God talk, because I, for me, I evangelize to a very tough, um, in a very tough place, because, mm-hmm. you know, in the world I work in, um, you know, I would, we don't identify as a faith-based show, but the, um, the people who are on the show end up talking about things like um, souls things like um, God, things like uh, a calling, and they don't even understand it or know it. They feel it, but they can't name it. Um, And so uh, we're reaching uh, people that, I I don't know. It's amazing. An adult convert. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think God took that experience and said, okay, this is your mission field. I want to ask you a question here. We don't have a lot of time left remaining on the episode today, but I do want to focus on this question for our audience today, because I think this is something that they want to know. In your opinion, what do you think separates between the Christian businesses and the secular businesses? You know, it's interesting. I'm on a, uh, an advisory board for a project called the Theology of Work, and um, it's a group of uh, evangelical Christians um, based in Boston, and they didn't have a Catholic voice. And um, so we're, we're going through a common on scripture related to work and wealth. And this idea of a Christian business um, uh, is very popular within that um, Christian tradition. So for me, not being in that um, Christian tradition, I would say I don't see Christian businesses, if you will, um, as se- separate. I think all if you are a Christian, you need to live an authentic life and bring that to your work. Yep. And so I think that there are Christian businesses, if you will, if you're really talking about ministries. Um, and so, but if you're talking about car washes or um, dry cleaners or restaurants, you know, I mean, maybe they're Christian. Uh, well, Chick-fil-A. I mean, that's an example. Um, I yep. think they have wonderful. Hobby ways. Lobby is another one. I think. Hobby Lobby. Yeah. I mean, yep. they're, they're out there, um, but by and large, they're the, uh, the unicorns or the exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, for those uh, entrepreneurs out there who do uh, identify that way, amen, amen. Um, yep. You know, it's wonderful. Um, but uh, for me, I think what I'm called to, the, the little message I'm called to give is that bring your faith to everything you do. Um, and we yeah. spend so much time in our work. Um, you don't have to... Um, bring scripture underneath your arm um, in your workplace to be an evangelist. Just be a great example. Um, You know, be, be that patient person who's going to deal with that difficult person because, you know, Jesus has told us how to deal with difficult people, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and someone will look at you and say, that's, it's an unusual approach to handling that person (laughs) or difficult customer or whatever. Um, You know, how do you, where does that come from? 
And that gives you the opportunity to talk in a true, authentic way to someone who wants to hear it. Excellent. So what does it profit? What does it profit your soul? You know, what does it profit you have here? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You say, spoiler alert, nothing, nothing at all. I really like your approach, everything that you're saying here to bring your faith everywhere that you go. Because it's not just because for me, myself, I am a missionary. I have left my family, my friends, my country, my culture, my language, all of those things to do missions in a foreign country in Brazil and in Thailand and Cambodia before. But I always tell people that you don't have to leave to do missions. You can stay and do missions. God has called people to stay right where they are in their business, in their family and reach people there. And so I think what you're saying today- Sometimes that's the biggest right. jungle. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Sometimes it's it's more difficult to it's more difficult to reach your family. Absolutely. And then the people in your close circle, they see how you live. They see how you react to that angry coworker or that unhappy client like you're saying here today. So I just want to thank you, Don, for everything that you shared today. You brought so much for us to think about. And if you have enjoyed our episode today, I suggest that you- Look in the description below of our podcast and find Don's podcast, What is a Profit? So you can you can check that out. You can subscribe on all the other platforms that are out there. Do you have a video podcast, Don, or is it audio? We are audio only, but we've just finished a video trailer with a big director out in California. Um, we're going to be doing a Amazing. documentary short. Um, so there'll be more video in our future. We're on YouTube. Perfect. Um, you can hear us there, but it's a static, you know, so it's not... Uh, I always tell all my friends I have a face made for radio. Um, so I, <laughs> there you I, go. There you I'm go. I'm trying to embrace where God sends me. So if he sends mm-hmm. me, it's, it's kind of like Moses. It's like, God, give me the words. It's like, yep. God, yeah, going back to the beginning, God send me and, and he will. Yeah. If you are open and you are available, he will use you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much for your time here today. How can our audience find you on on? your platforms. So we have the podcast that's in that's below, but how can they re- connect with you specifically? Okay. Um Dawn Carpenter, uh D-A-W-N-C-A-R-P-E-N. Uh, we like to say new beginnings and Jesus mm-hmm. are the very best and first carpenter. Um Doncarpenter.com. Uh that's the warehouse of all of my writings. Um you can get <laughs> links to everything that I'm doing. Uh that's the very best place. Um if you know you're interested more at Georgetown, you can Google my name and you can see what we're doing over uh, at Georgetown. Um, and, uh, so you'll learn all about the other exciting things that we're doing. So, yeah. uh, there's an ability to jump on our mailing list and we'll keep you informed. Perfect. If I can have you also end our time together with a prayer, I would really appreciate it. Sure. In the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to meet a new friend, Dallas. And I thank you for inspiring him in the work that he does to reach all of us who are here today in our ears or in our cars or on our walks or wherever we, we hear you, uh, you find us. So I thank you uh, for loving me enough and understanding um, every weakness I have and all the weaknesses we all have. Um, and by your grace, let us always be moved to be your hands and feet in the world. We thank you for your every loving grace. May you be with us today and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. 
with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.